you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll continue our study in the series, The More Things Change, The More They Stay the Same. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. Before we read the uh, passage of Scripture tonight, when I was little, um, my dad used to like to watch football. And uh, you've heard me say before, my dad was a gentleman. He knew, I, him and Mama say he gave me a whipping before, but I don't ever, I don't remember it. He, he should have gave me a lot more than he did. But there was one thing in the Rose House that you knew. When football come on, you best not disturb Daddy. He loved to watch his football. And uh, I can still remember, uh, y'all have all met my Daddy and you know his voice and everything. And I can still remember when we had a black and white TV to watch football on. And... Uh, Anyway, I can't remember what Super Bowl it was, but I remember it was the Saturday before the Super Bowl uh, coming on the next day, and we were sitting there, and Daddy said, I'm tired of watching this thing in black and white. We're going to get a color TV. <laughs> I was like, yeehaw. So we went and got one of them color TVs, you know, the kind of that sits in the floor. You know what I'm talking about? And, I mean, it was state-of-the-art, high-tech. It had these little buttons on it. You go and you push them and then change the channel. You had to get up to do that, though. And uh, they didn't have remote controls yet. Probably some of you in here can remember when they didn't even have TVs or they wasn't a regular item in a, in a home. But uh, I can remember watching that first Super Bowl in color. And just what a difference it made. Uh, I mean, you could see that, hey, that football's brown, <laughs> you know, and the grass is green, and, uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers wore yellow jerseys, all of this stuff. It just made it so much more vivid and so much more detailed. Well, fast forward to today. I can remember when Shane and I went and bought that first HD TV. I mean, you turn that thing on and you can literally see every single blade of grass out there uh, on the field. And I mean, just minute details. It's just right there uh, staring you in the face. And not too long ago, me and Madison, I uh, can't remember exactly even the reason. Shane, I believe, was with us when we were uh, going to the mountains, I believe it was, and Madison was playing songs for me and she played this song a country song that's popular nowadays in color uh, for me. And uh, I just fell in love with that song. It just had a lot of meaning, but it talks about a grandpa, uh, you know, or a boy talking to his grandpa, and he says, what's this picture here? And, and you know, it's all black and white. And uh, he told that he was about 11, and it was back in 1935, and Uncle Joe and him were just trying to survive, and it's they were on a cotton farm. It was the Great Depression. And then it goes, if it looks like we were scared to death like a couple of kids just trying to save each other, you should have seen it in color. Um, you know, and it goes on and it talks about the war and the 1940s and all that he went through during that time. And uh, like a couple of kids just trying to save each other, you should have seen it in color. And then, of course, the refrain or chorus from that uh, 
talks about uh, a picture being worth a thousand words, uh, but you can't see what those shades of gray keep covered. You should have seen it uh, in color. He goes on and talks about meeting grandma and about two kids uh, and their relationship. They were scared to death. But he says, that's the story of my life right there in black and white. If it looks like we were scared to death like a couple of kids just trying to save each other, you should have seen it in color. Well, my friends, that's kind of what Paul's talking about here in this passage of Scripture tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He's written to the Corinthians, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful in verses one and two. We've talked about that. He addresses some of the problems going on there in the Corinthian church and he gets down to chapter number 14 and Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians it matters how people see us. You see, in a sense, if we're not careful, we try to live our lives in black and white, but whether we like it or not, the world sees us in HD full color, and we can't hide from them who we really are. So it matters what a Christian looks like. You've heard me say before how you've heard people say this. I don't care what people think about me. That's one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard. We ought to care what people think about us. We ought to care uh, if what they think about us is accurate or it's not accurate. That's kind of what Paul's writing here, that in vivid HD color, people are watching us and they ought to be able to imitate us. Paul had a problem. People in Corinth, they weren't living right, wasn't acting right. They were in high definition and folks were looking at them and they were supposed to be a witness and an example to unbelievers, but they were not. And he says, listen, I want you to live like I'm living. I want you to imitate me because I'm following Christ. So tonight we ask ourselves the question, what, do I, what am I supposed to see when I see that Christian in HD uh, high definition color. What are they supposed to see in you and what are they supposed to see uh, in me? And in this passage of scripture, we can see three realities that a true Christian is to have. Uh, and Paul said, hey, these things are in me, so be an imitator of me. Number one, when we see a Christian, we're to see someone who has a passion for people. Look what Paul says right here in verses 14 and 15. Now he's, he's written there admonishing them, telling them what's going on, what they're uh, not doing right. But then in verse 14 he says, I write these things, uh, uh, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Uh, we see someone who has a passion for people. Now stop and think about this. Paul had went to Corinth after he'd been in Athens. Uh, Paul was a tent maker, so he worked uh, with his hands making tents while he was in Corinth. There was no church there to support him, so he did whatever it took so that he could support himself and then spend 
his spare time when he wasn't working as a tent maker, presenting the gospel, planning a church, leading these people into a relationship uh, with Christ. And what he says here in verses 14 and 15, listen, you got a whole bunch of people who are teaching you. You got a whole bunch of people now who who, who will tell you what's right and what's wrong and, and open up the word and teach you, but you don't have many fathers. And I'm that person who spent my time to come here plant this church, lead people to Christ, and I do that because I've got a passion for people. The question we ask is like Paul. He says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And just as we said this morning, it ties right in. How many children? we were to ask ourselves, how many children do we have in the faith? Those folks that, like Paul, because we had a passion for people, we met them and took an interest in them, cared for them, loved them, took the Great Commission seriously, where Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a passionate or being passionate enough about people that we were willing to become a parent in the faith. Um, Paul said, I loved you enough that I was willing to beget you, to birth uh, you. And I still say that uh, my mind just can't wrap around someone who's been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never led another person to faith in Christ. My mind cannot wrap around that uh, because as I said this morning, if we've got a passion for people and, and healthy living beings reproduce, then like Paul, a real Christian has a passion for people and does whatever's necessary so that we can uh, reproduce. So the first reality of an HD high-definition Christian is that that person has a passion for people and is willing to do whatever it takes to reach others for Christ. But the second reality is when we see that Christian, uh, we see someone who is a peculiar pattern. Look what Paul says here in verses 16 and 17. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. A peculiar pattern. Now, you know what that word translated, pattern, means? It, it, it's, uh, it means a, a, like a die where you can take something and pour something else into it and then after a little while that something, whatever it is, it begins to harden up and, and you can bust that thing off and when you expose it, you've got something that is an exact replica of that thing you were trying to make, whatever that may be. That's the definition of what a pattern is. I, I think about my mama who likes to, to sew and, and she'll take a piece of cloth and lay it down over another piece of cloth and take the scissors and cut that thing out so that when she's done, you take what was one because of that pattern and you flop that other, and you got two things that look just exactly alike, a pattern. And a high definition Christian, that person 
who's real will be a pattern for others uh, to follow. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example, a pattern of those uh, who believe. The question that we ask ourselves is, and trust, I ask myself this question quite often, and I'm not always pleased with the answer. Let's say that at Zion Baptist Church, this church that sits up on a hill here in Oak Hill, North Carolina. Let's say that every single person in this church were an exact replica of you what would the church look like? What would it look like in its giving? What would it look like in its teaching, in its loving, as Paul talked about with Timothy, in its faithfulness, in its charity, uh, in its soul winning? Uh, if every Christian were an exact replica, a peculiar pattern exactly like us could the church continue to function for the glory of God or would we have to shut the doors that's the question I understand I'm talking to the faithful here tonight uh, but I want to be like Paul where I can say to someone live like I live act like I act love like I love give like I give speak like I speak and that person after having told them that if they do that would be a Christian that's pleasing to God so we ask ourselves what would it look like if they were all like me you see because of that it does matter how we live it does matter how others see us and view us and if their view and how they see us and what they think of us is accurate uh, then it really does matter. I think it's interesting here. Paul, not only does he say, be ye followers of me, but then he goes on and says, for this cause have I sent unto you, Timotheus. Now he just said, be a follower of me, but I'm sending Timothy. Now, without diving into that, that don't really make sense. But then he goes on and says, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord has, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul says, hey, I'm gonna send Timothy to you. Uh, why? Because I've poured my life out into Timothy. So when I send Timothy and you see Timothy, you're seeing an accurate representation of the Christian life uh, that I'm asking you to follow. So then we've got to ask ourselves, Paul literally tells Timothy that he's his son in the faith. Uh, we know over there in the first and second Timothy, Paul's letters to him, how he talks about how he uh, saw him become a Christian and he poured his life into him. He taught him and he led him and then turned him loose to do ministry and now he's sending him out in his name. Uh, but it was literally because Paul had poured himself, spent time with, 
did whatever it took so that Timothy uh, would uh, grow in the faith. Now, then we ask ourselves, is there someone, can I name anyone in my life who I'm pouring myself into, uh, who I'm living life with, who I'm teaching, who I'm, in a sense, mentoring so that I could send that person out. And when I send that person out, the people that I send him out to or the persons or whatever group that it may be could see an accurate reflection, a pattern of who I am as a Christian. That's how that reproducing looks. Um, we train, we teach, we spend time with, uh, and then we send out those people so that they can continue to do and be that pattern uh, in our stead or on our behalf. Uh, we look at that, that's kind of what Jesus did, wasn't it? I mean, he came to earth, and when it come time for him to uh, start his ministry, uh, he chose 12 people, and during the time of his ministry, he spent time with them, and he ate with them, and slept with them, and walked with them, and talked with them, and worked with them, and played with them, and all the different things that you do so that he could pour his life out so that when he stepped off the scene and was called back into glory, that the people that he sent those 12 out to, now we know one was the son of perdition, he was of the devil, and he, uh, you know, didn't do what was right, Judas, uh, but they called another one who had been there in his stead, so there was 12 again, and those 12 literally went out and were an accurate representation, a reflection of what they had been taught during the time that Jesus had spent with them. So that high-definition Christian ought to be a pattern that others could follow, but we ought to be a pattern that's being used for others to follow. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach otherwise also. There's a multiplication process going on there. You see, when we take the time and the energy uh, to pour ourselves into those people and live in such a way in front of them so that they can pattern their lives after our lives, then when they go out and teach that to others, then the ministry that we started in them gets multiplied and that thing explodes. And that's Jesus' plan to reach uh, the whole world with the gospel, but it takes time and it takes work. So a peculiar pattern. And then number three, HD Christian. We're to see someone who is rugged and strong, yet tender. Now I'm gonna make you smile. I tried my best because I set a peculiar pattern and I set a passion for people and I just did everything in my power to come up with something with some peas and they just wasn't no synonyms to be had. It's just what the word said. Paul was rugged, he was strong, yet at the same time he was compassionate and tender. Look what the Bible says here in verses 18 and 19. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. What he's saying there is I've written you these things, I've admonished you, and in my absence you're acting pretty tough and you're saying Paul's not gonna come here. Uh, he's not gonna straighten this thing out. But he says, I'll come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. 
Do they have the power to back up what they're saying? For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You see, Paul well understood that. We're given that example. Uh, a lot of historians think Paul was a little short man and he was bow-legged and probably wasn't the most handsome feller uh, around. But I'm going to tell you something about Paul. He was in that shipwreck and he was on that ship and the storm was raging around him. He was the only one that wasn't huddled up crying and singing the blues. He said, hey, we got a problem. Let's handle this thing. And he told them to start taking the... Paul wasn't the captain of that ship, but he took charge. Why? Because he was tough and he was rugged. He said, all right, throw the tackle overboard. Let's lighten the load. Let's do this. Let's do that. Throw the food over. Just save enough for the next two or three days. He didn't cower in panic at the thought of danger. No, he was tough and he was rugged. But at the same time, this tough and this rugged man could be tender. I think about the story in that same story there in the book of Acts when the eventual end of that thing and that ship wrecked and they landed, I believe it was on the island of Malta. I think I've got that right. And they go on the island and you know the people on that island kind of take them in and bring them in around the fire and what happens? A serpent comes out of the fire and bites Paul. Well, he didn't fall and flop around on the ground. He just kept on going like nothing had happened. Well, then when nothing did happen and it didn't poison him, boy, they said, whoa, we got somebody here in Portland. And Paul ended up being able to use that uh, to share the gospel on the island of uh, Malta. So he was rugged, he was tough, yet he was tender. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 20, 21. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, and with chastisement, or in love and the spirit of gentleness? You see, while Paul could be tough when the going got tough, it was in his nature to be gentle and meek like the Lord Jesus Christ. That HD picture, now you stop and think about that. Uh, it's one of the, I have to admit, this is personal to me. It just burns me up when I see them pictures of Jesus and they got him looking like some sissy. Jesus was a man's man. He was tough and he was rugged. I bet he'd beat his hands with carpenter with hammers as he was helping Joseph do that work. And he lifted them boards and he probably had calluses all over his hands and all over his feet. Uh, he didn't run and cry when they come to get him to take him to the crucifixion. No, he was tough. But boy, I'm thankful at the same time he was gentle. Because he could have called 10,000 angels to come to his defense while he was on that cross. But no, instead of doing that, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's kind of like what Paul's saying here. Hey, I can come with the rod. I can come in power. But I would rather come in love and in the spirit of gentleness. I think that's the Christian way, isn't it? That's going to really play out as we get into chapter 5. Because I'm going to tell you what, chapter 5 will be one of the hardest chapters of the Bible to preach. I've preached a lot of message in, messages in my, I guess, eight years now. Look, almost nine since I announced my call to preach. I've never preached 1 Corinthians chapter 5 it's a tough one and I think what Paul's doing here is he's writing uh, is setting up 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, 
hey, I, I can come with a rod, but I'd rather come in the spirit of meekness, in love, in, in, in gentleness. And, and ultimately, Paul leaves that decision up uh, to them. He says to them, are you going to get back in bounds or are you going to keep fighting against what you know is uh, right? And then in chapter number five, he begins to talk about church discipline. That's something we just don't talk about in church anymore. I think in times past, it's been abused. But I think in times present, it's not used nearly as much as it should be. And what Paul's saying, there's a time to stand up and it's time to be tough and a time to say, we're not going to do this. We're not going to stand for this. And the reason we do that is so that the person can get back in bounds and we then come in love and in the spirit of meekness. High definition. That's how Paul lived. They were watching him. They're watching us. And what they see is far more important than what they hear coming out of our mouths. I think that's the admonition here that Paul was leaving to the first Corinthians as he wrote this book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this great man who followed you named Saul who became Paul. God, as he wrote this book to the first Corinthians, to Corinthians, this first letter that he wrote. Lord, there's just so much in it that we can use uh, to be drawn closer to you. And God, as we think about that, that the world is watching us and looking at us, and it's not in black and white where anything's, or there's some things that's hidden, but it's in high definition for the world to see. God, help us to live it then in such a way like Paul that we can say, follow me, do what I do, and you'll be right with God. I think that's what Paul was saying. So Lord, help us to be like him. And ultimately,